Hi, everybody. My name is Brenda, and I'm an alcoholic. Because of the grace of a loving God, sponsorship, the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and people like you, I have not found it necessary to take a drink since Friday, July 11th of 1980, and I'm really grateful for that today. Uh, it's not anything that I did. <laughs> um, if it were up to me, I probably wouldn't be standing here tonight. So um, I want to thank you for uh, that nice introduction. There was a time when people wouldn't say nice things like that about me. Um, but, uh, you know, there's something about coming here that is really special to me. Um, I, I had the opportunity today to, first of all, I, I've been down here the last couple of years. I've I've been down here several times, and so there are some people here this weekend that I've met um, uh, at Edisto and, and uh, over in Atlanta or up wherever Atlanta is. I'm not sure where I am at right now. So, but down, okay. Um, but it's it's really nice. The hospitality here is wonderful, and I feel like I don't know for some reason I was telling uh, Gina and. Uh, I was at dinner tonight that for some reason I, I feel like I'm drawn to this area. I don't know why. You know, sometimes you, I try to figure out what God's will for me is. And um, I just, I really enjoy coming here. And I want to thank you. I want to thank Alice and, and Linda and Gina and the, the entire committee for the opportunity to be here tonight. It really is a privilege um, to be able to be in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what this is. I have to remember that. Somebody shared that with me today. I don't remember who that was, but I think it was you, Alice, who said that, that you know, it's, that's what it's all about. I, I get nervous when I do this, and it's, it's really it's a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm just going to share my experience, strength, and health with you tonight. Um, my home group is the chapter, the Fox Hall Chapter 7 group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we meet every Thursday night at 7.30. We're in the process of moving to a new location because we've outgrown our old one. That's always a good problem to have. Um, we are an open speaker meeting, and we have two speakers every Thursday night. And um, you're welcome to, to come and see us whenever you're in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, we'd love to have you there. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you that I was... Um, one of the women that I sponsor, Carrie, is down here with me this weekend. And it's a pleasure to have you here, Carrie. I want to thank you for coming. Um, this morning, uh, when we were getting up at 3 a.m., to make our plane at 6 a.m. I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I was thinking, I don't know how this popped into my head, but I was thinking of something that my sponsor says all the time. And she says, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I was trying to remember that <laughs> as I was trying to keep my eyes open at 3 this morning. I'm willing to go to any length to stay sober. To whom much is given, much is expected. And, and I know that today it truly is a gift. That I, that I am sober today. Um, it was also really nice to be able to, um, to fly from Atlanta here uh, with uh, my husband's sponsor and my sponsor's husband, um, Vic. It was nice to uh, chat with him. We got a chance to sit together and, and talk and, and kind of reminisce a little bit. And, and um, I, we were talking about it earlier today. He mentioned it, and sometimes I forget. Um, you know, he, he has been my husband's sponsor for almost 25 years. And that's a long time. You know, that's, um, I, I was thinking about how long uh, Dick and Peggy have been a part of our lives. And um, they've been a part of my life since the very beginning of my sobriety. And, you know, that's, that, that sponsorship is the one consistent thing, besides going to meetings, that I have had in my life. You know, my, my family has always been there, but I never had anything consistent in my life. And, and those people have been a consistent part of my life, my entire sobriety. And, and that's, you know, 18 years to be able to have people in your life for that long. I mean, that's a miracle. I mean, I was lucky to have people in my life for 15 minutes when I was drinking. So um, it really is, it, it's a privilege. Uh, I don't know where this is going tonight. I, I've been trying to, I was telling a number of people earlier that, they could, they've heard my story before, so they can just go ahead and rest if they want to while I'm talking because I don't, I'm trying to think if a lot has changed over the last year, and I guess a lot has changed. I, I sometimes kind of jump all over the place, so if I'm sober and then, and then uh, drunk and then sober and then drunk, it's, hopefully you can follow along. Um, where do I start? You know, sometimes I, I always bring my big book up with me because I don't know about you, but I have um, brain damage. 
I have, you know, when I, when I, because of my drinking, I think I kind of destroyed a few brain cells. And so every once in a while I have like a, I'm not exactly what, some people call it um, kind of a gap or whatever it is where you just don't, you don't connect quite right. And so I know that if I, if I completely lose my train of thought and I don't know what I'm going to say, I'll have the book right in front of me and I'll just open it up and something will come to mind. Um, it's really warm in here. Whew. I think I'm going to have to. I was <laughs> thinking about this earlier. You know, before I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the things that I always wanted to do was um, be a dancer. <laughs> and so I'm not taking off my clothes because I'm going to dance for you. <laughs> I'm just warm. That's it. No more. <laughs> I was about 35 pounds lighter then, too, so... That would help. Um, my story is really no different than any of yours. You know, I'm, I'm here because I drank a lot. And I'm here tonight sober and have been sober um, on a continuous basis for the last 18 years because I took some actions, like Clancy talks about, I took some actions that I didn't believe in, but I trusted that they would work. And that's why I'm here tonight. I took a, I've taken a lot of actions that I didn't believe would work, and they worked. And I'm really glad they worked. And they worked because you showed me that they could work in your life. And uh, so that's, that's really why I'm here. Um, hi. <laughs> Are you warm, too? <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks. Um, the big book says that our stories disclose in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. And that's, that's my story. I grew up in a very small town in northwest Iowa. Does anybody know where Iowa is? <laughs> Yay, Carrie knows! <laughs> it's the state right below Minnesota. And uh, I grew up there all my life. I lived there all my life until I was like about five years sober, and then I moved to uh, Minneapolis. But I, uh, I grew up in that small little town of about 500 people, and, and my parents owned a bar in that town. And uh, there, were, there was like 500 people and three bars and about five or six churches. So there was a lot of drinking and a lot of going to church and a lot of drinking. And um, my parents owned a bar in that town. And whenever I talk about this, I, I, this comes to mind. And I... You know, I really believe, and I, I'm not speaking for Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole tonight. Um, this is my perception, and my perception is not always accurate. You know, some of the things that I'm, I'm going to share with you tonight may be exactly what happened, and it may not be exactly what happened. You know, it's my perception of what I saw, what I heard, what I felt, and that's not always accurate. I've learned that in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, that my perception is not always the way things really are. But I remember succinctly when I was growing up what the, the whole um, aura around that bar. And I wasn't even, I, you know, I, I didn't start drinking until I was almost 14 years old. But there was something really magical about that bar. And when I tell the story, I can see it. I can visually see that bar in my mind. I believe that I was an alcoholic even before I picked up the first drink. No, alcohol was really just a symptom. For me. Alcohol was my answer. Alcohol was what made me feel like a whole person. And I had all of the ism long before I picked up my first drink. But I can remember growing up in that little town, and, and uh, this was before alcohol could be served on Sundays, and so on Sunday was the cleanup day in the bar. And my brother and I were never allowed to go into that bar during business hours, but we could go in there on Sundays and uh, help clean up. And I loved it. I mean, I, my brother does not have the same feeling or the same memories about this today as I do. I absolutely loved going to that bar. There was something so wonderful about stale, the smell of stale smoke and stale booze. You know, it was just like, I mean, you could smell it as you, you, you would walk in. And it was just, it was like, there was, there was a long, huge um, bar, wooden bar, with stools that were... Um, covered in red and then there were booths on the other side and in the back of the bar there were like pool tables and, and in the corner that, that was during the day when they had dancers and so in the corner there was a place where they, they had dancers and, and um, 
I just, I loved going in there. And my father would flip a little switch on the jukebox and I could play all the music that I wanted. And I would just play that music and I would pretend like I was somewhere else. I never wanted to be where I was. Now, growing up in a, in a small rural area, I, my grandparents were farmers and I spent a lot of time on the farm with my grandparents and, and I used to walk beans and detassel corn and help my grandfather milk cows. And, and you know, I never wanted to be there when I was there. I never, I never wanted to be where I was in my own skin. I always wanted to be somewhere else because it always looked better somewhere else. And today, I'm okay being exactly where I am. You know, it does, I don't have to be anywhere else today. Although, except when it gets 25 below zero in Minnesota, I'd rather be here. But you know, we've had nice weather. This, oh, we don't even have any snow on the ground. You know, that's like, there's a lot of people complaining we don't have any snow for Christmas, but that's okay. We've had temperatures in the 60s, which is really great for us. So, um, But it's not as warm as it is here. It's really wonderful here. Uh, anyway, I got sidetracked. See, that's what happens. We just kind of veer. Um, where was I? In the bar. Um, no. I was on the farm. I was on the farm. Um, today, I love going back there. My parents no longer farm, but, you know, those, those are wonderful memories to me, to me today. And I, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. I couldn't wait to escape from there. You know, I just, I, I just knew I, I should have been somewhere else. I, wasn't, I was born into the wrong family or something. You know, and I just couldn't wait to get to be somewhere else. I, and I had all kinds of dreams of what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm there yet. <laughs> but today I, I'm comfortable with where I am. And, you know, one of the wonderful things is I, I had the opportunity to, um, to go back to Iowa over Thanksgiving to spend some time with my mother. And uh, it, really, it really is uh, wonderful to, to be with her. And my grandmother was there. My, my grandmother is... Um, 81 years old, and my mother is 61 years old, and I'm 41 years old. There's 21, 20 years difference between the three of us. And, and as I was sitting there talking with my, my grandmother, she had gotten out some old photos. I'm kind of reminiscing for some reason. I don't know. This, this is part of my story. I'll get there. Um, she had some, some uh, photos on, the, on old photos on a table that she was going through, and, and they were just wonderful. I mean, she was there was one with a horse and buggy, you know. She said that she used to go to school in a horse and buggy. And I can't even conceive that. I can't even comprehend that, you know. And, and she was talking about there were, there were um, 11 children in her family, and they were all lined up, you know. And, and it was just, she was talking about some of the things. And I, I was talking with my mother later, and I said, you know, there's some, there's some wonderful heritage there that I want to learn more about. And that is amazing for me to feel that I would want to learn about that. You know, there was, there was a time I wouldn't have wasted my time with that. And, and now it's like it's a part of who I am today. And it's a good part of who I am today. So I just wanted to share that. Um, if you're feeling that way and you're feeling like you want to be somewhere else. Anyway, I took my first drink um, when I was almost 14 years old. And the reason I remember that is my father died um, very suddenly at the age of 34 um, with a condition called pancreatitis. And I started, I had my first drunk, I shouldn't say my first drink, because I had sips of, of booze and, and beer and, and other things as I was growing up. Um, we used to go snowmobiling a lot up in northern Minnesota, and, and my father would always let me um, drink out of his flask of peppermint schnapps, and it just kind of warmed the whole inside. But my first drunk was um, shortly after my father died. And I, I don't exactly remember specifically what the whole circumstances around that was, but I do remember how I felt. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. That's the one thing that I can relate to when an alcoholic shares their story, is I know, I know exactly why I drank. I drank because I like the effect produced by alcohol. It's exactly what Dr. Silkworth talks about in the doctor's opinion in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I drank because I liked the effect produced by alcohol, and I continued to drink because I sought that effect over and over and over again. Um, I, I remember I, I suddenly felt like I was part of. You know, I suddenly felt like I belonged. I suddenly felt like I could be comfortable in my own skin. 
and I never, I never felt that way. I always felt, and I've heard so many people talk about this, but it's so true. I mean, it's, it's the one thing that we can all identify with. I always felt like, like you all knew what to do in life, and nobody told me. You know, like I was walking around trying to figure out what to do, and I never had a clue. I was always comparing my insides with your outsides. And I know today that that, that doesn't work. <laughs> I have always sought things outside of myself to fix me on the inside. And today I know that that's not possible. Today I know that the only thing that can fix me on the inside is a relationship with the power greater than me with the power of my understanding. And I found that here in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's, it's taken a long time. But I always looked for other things, material things, relationships. You know, I, I was in and out of a lot of relationships. I, my husband and I um, had the privilege of being able to celebrate 18 years of marriage last Sunday. And that, I, I know, you're doing the arithmetic, 18 years sober, 18 years married, 18, I'll get to that, but um, <laughs> I didn't listen. Huh? No. Um, but what a, what a, that's unbelievable. That, that, there's no way that that's possible. For me, there's no way that that's possible. And it's because of Alcoholics Anonymous that that's possible. I know today that the reason that we are still together is because of Alcoholics Anonymous and good sponsorship and people like you. Because my natural instinct, my natural instinct is to run. When things get tough, I'm out of here. I can't handle it. I can't deal with it. I'm gone. And, and when running was no longer an option, the drinking became the option. And then I could drink and run. But the, the drinking helped me to be able to handle life. And so I, I felt like I belonged when I got drunk. And I felt like I was, sometimes I felt like I was the life of the party, you know. I was, I was, I was there. I was present. I was, I, I never felt like I was really a part of anything. And it just made me feel like I belonged. Um, I continued to drink, of course, you know, when, I, when you're 14 years old, it's a little difficult to, to get alcohol on a regular basis, but even if your father does own a bar or your parents own a bar, by that time they had sold the bar. So um, I drank on, on weekends, uh, tried to get some during the week whenever I could. I always ran around with people older than I was, so I had access to alcohol. I graduated from high school and went on to college. And the progression of my illness, and that, that's one of the things that, that is so important for me to remember today, is that my illness, the illness of alcoholism that I have progresses whether I'm drinking or whether I'm not drinking. That, that I have what Dr. Silkworth talks about in, in the big book, that I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And so I know that when I put, and, and that was wonderful to be able to have that understanding. Now, I sat in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for quite some time really not believing that I was an alcoholic, not, not surrendering, not even taking the first step. You know, maybe, maybe um, my life is a little unmanageable, but I don't know how I can be powerless over alcohol. You know, I, and I sat here for a long time not believing I was an alcoholic until I, it was explained to me or I heard it read or, or something happened where I, I got some information from the, the doctor's opinion in the big book where it talks about this allergy, this craving, this phenomenon of craving that happens when I take a drink. When I take a drink of alcohol, I start this allergic reaction in my body. And that allergic reaction says, I want more. And so I have more. And when I'm not drinking, what I'm left with is I don't have that, that phenomenon of craving because I don't have alcohol inside me, but what I'm left with is the other part of my illness, and that's the obsession of the mind. And I believe today that, that that's why it is so important for me, even more so today than it was when I first came into Alcoholics Anonymous, to be as active as I am in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I know that, that what I really have, what I really have, is a daily reprieve. And it's contingent on one thing, my spiritual maintenance. Steps 10, 11, and 12. 
and, and I know that. That's, that's the one sure thing I know today. You know, I was thinking about this earlier um, as I was sitting outside in the wonderful weather this afternoon. I was sitting there thinking about, you know, I, I have gone for years trying to figure out what God's will for me is. You know, is this God's will for me? Am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to, you know, what is God's will for me? I, 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 I didn't understand. And today, I don't need to understand. The one thing that I know for sure is that God's will for me is to stay sober and help others. That's all I need to know. The rest happens. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to do anything. I just need to show up for life. And the rest happens. But his will for me is to stay sober because I'm sober today. And his will for me is to try to help others, and that's why I'm here tonight. If there's one person that, that hears something that I might say that might be helpful, it's, it's all worth it. And that's why I'm here. It's, and, you know, I, I am not, I, we were talking about this earlier today. Um, Alice was asking me what I, uh, if I worked, and I, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I work for, um, ironically, I work for a, uh, a medical center uh, in where I live. And I work with some people, some very wonderful people. I work with nurses and doctors. And they're very wonderful. These, these people are very wonderful, caring people. And I watch them. I sit at work and I watch them. And it's just, it's like, it's, it comes natural to them. They're just naturally caregivers. They're just naturally very caring people. They're just naturally selfless. You know, they're out of self. They want to try to help somebody else. And I watch them and I think, it just comes so naturally to them. Why do I have to work so hard at it? I feel like I'm more, I, you know, it's like, I have to work hard at being nice sometimes. You know, there are times when I don't want to be nice. And, and I'll let you know that. You know, and it, it, sometimes it comes out in ways that I don't want it to come out, but it comes out and people pick up on that. And, I'm, and it's amazing how I'm learning things as the longer I stay sober because people will ask me things at work. They'll say, is everything okay, Brenda? I, I didn't know anything was wrong, you know. I, but it's, it's maybe an attitude or something that I said or an action. And, I, you know, I... It's like it's become very apparent to me that there are times when I don't like the way things are going and I, I let people know that. You know, and that's, I prob- I'm sure I've had that all my life. <laughs> Just another one of those character defects that I get to come face to face with and I get to do some more changing. And I don't like change. You know, I, uh, about a month or so ago we had a, a six, step, six and seven step workshop in Minneapolis, and it was just an absolutely wonderful workshop. And um, many of you know Bob B. and, and um, Don M. from Louisville and, and Bill P. from St. Paul were, were doing this workshop. And, um, you know, they were talking about six and seven, talking about change and, and how reluctant we are, I am, to change. You know, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, it, it seemed like the changes happened pretty rapidly. Like, you know, I, I was able to get sober. I was able to start paying off some of my bills. I was able to, well, I got married right away. I, you know, I became an instant mother. A lot of things happened. And, but my life got pretty good in a very short period of time. So I went through a lot of change quickly. And today, it seems like the change doesn't come as often. And it comes in just little bits. And it's, and it's harder for me to let go. It's harder for me to let go of the things that I've been wanting to carry around with me for all these years. You know, it's like, it's my rock. I don't want to let go of it. It's my rock. And that's what they were talking about in this workshop. And, you know, until, until I, I become to the, get to the point where I say, okay, I surrender. I can't do it this way anymore. I, I'm willing to change. Will I, will I really pick up the tools to be able to make that change possible? I know that that comes through God. I know that I can't remove my character defects. And it's a good thing that I, don't, I haven't seen this all at one time because I, <laughs> I probably would go crazy, you know, that it comes a little bit at a time. Um, anyway, uh, so I'm, I'm sober. Now I'm going to get drunk again. 
Um, I, I picked up my first, or I had my first drunk when I was 14 and went to college, like I said, and, and uh, my first year of college I did very well. I went into the field of radio broadcasting. It was a lot of fun. In the mid-70s, there weren't a lot of women in radio broadcasting. There were more men than women. That's probably the only reason why I chose that field. Um, I didn't get along. I don't know if any of the women in this room can relate. I did not get along well with women. Um, I did not see, see women as, as someone that I would want to be friends with. I saw them as competition. And I don't know where that came from. It just was there. And so I chose that field, and I did very well my first year. I was on the dean's list. I had a good time. And my second year of college, I was flunking out. And, and that is the progression of the illness of alcoholism in my life. I started drinking when I was almost 14, and I took my last drink when I was 22 years old. So it progressed for me very rapidly. Um, I flunked out my second year of college. I tried to move home, and by that time my mother had remarried, and I was not a happy camper, and I was, a, I was, just, I was just a miserable young woman. I don't, I don't, I, I guess I could think of some names, but I, I was just, I was just unhappy, full of anger, full of resentment, full of fear, full of fear. You know, Dick and I were talking about this today, and I said, you know, I, I, if I had made all of the decisions, if I would, if I would be making all of the decisions in my life today based on fear, every one of those fears would come true. And thank God that I don't make my decisions in my life today based on that fear anymore. You know, that I have some tools and I have a direction and I have some principles by which I live my life. But my life was, was fear-based. I mean, I look back on, on why I drank. A lot of re- that was a good reason to drink, being afraid of something, fear of going to work, fear of, of handling a situation with the family, fear of, fear of whatever was a good way to, you know, oh, I might as well just get drunk, it'll go away. So anyway, I tried to move home, and that didn't work out, and I ended up moving around a lot. And to make a long story short, I went through a, a lot of jobs, and I'm, you know, I'm sure some of you can relate to this too. I was always good at starting over, always good at starting over, because this time it was going to be different. You know, that's, that's the insanity. I mean, the, the second step talks about being restored to sanity when it, when it comes to the insanity of drinking. But there's also that insanity of continuing to do the same things, expecting different results. And I did that over and over and over because I thought this time it's going to be different, but I didn't realize that I was taking me with me. And so I, I ended up going through a lot of jobs. I, I um, finally ended up um, securing a... I was living with, with relatives. I, was, I had lived with an aunt and uncle, and I was living with another aunt and uncle, and, and I was just kind of being shuffled around in the family. And nobody really knew. They, they suspected that I had a drinking problem, but nobody really confronted me, except for my brother, confronted me on this drinking. Oh, I forgot to look at what time I started. Oh, gosh. How long have I talked? Um, okay, I'll, I'll get it. Um, anyway, so nobody really ever confronted me on my drinking. And uh, I, I ended up getting a job at a television station, which is, which is something that I thought was absolutely wonderful. I was going to make my fame and fortune in television, and, you know, this was going to be it. This was going to be the break I needed, and I was just, it was going to be wonderful, and da-da-da-da-da. And I ended up, I think I was there three months. And one day, my, my boss called me in, and he said, you know, Brenda, we're going we're gonna to have to let you go from this job. We're, we'll we're going to let you resign. We're not going to fire you. But, and he said, you know, I really hate to do this because you're a wonderful worker when you're here, but you just don't show up very much. You know, and that's the story of my life. I went to work when it was convenient for me, not when, when I was supposed to. And I, but I still expected to be paid, of course. You know, but I just, I wanted it to be on my terms. And he said, we'll let you resign under one stipulation that you go talk to someone at the local treatment center. And I, I thought, well, how bad can that be? You know, I, I did not know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm 22 years old. I did not know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not know anything about um, treatment centers. I, hadn't, I didn't even know what alcoholism was. You know, I knew what a drunk was. 
because I, I saw them walk out the back door into the alley of my father's bar. You know, the guys that stumbled home because they, they couldn't drink anymore or they, the bar was closing or, or, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I knew what a drunk was. But I had no idea what, what anything else was as far as treatment or recovery from that. And I, and I did not know what alcoholism was. So I, I agreed. I agreed to go talk to this woman. I said, give me her number. I'll call her when I get home. And he said, there's the phone. Why don't you call her now? And I did, and she was conveniently there. And I spoke with her, and I went in, and, and she asked me a bunch of questions. I, I made an appointment to see her, and, and I went in. She asked me some questions. I don't remember what they were, and she suggested that I stay there for their inpatient treatment. And I told her I couldn't do that. And anyway, I ended up leaving there without, having, without going to treatment, and I, I went um, back to my aunt and uncle's, and I was ready to start over. You know, I know how to do this. I know how to start over. Just get another job. Everything will be fine. So I sat down at the kitchen table, and I looked through the newspaper, and I saw an ad. I, and this ad really basically kind of popped off the page at me. I saw this ad for a gentleman who was gaining custody of his two children through a divorce, and he needed someone to move into the home to take care of the home and take care of the children. And I went, that's it. But that's the perfect job for me. You know, that's been my problem. I've been working with all of these radio and television personalities, and they're really sick. They drink a lot, and they do... Now, this is my perception. I'm not... Nothing against radio and television. Um, and they drink a lot. I, never mind, I was drinking with them. They drink a lot. It's, you know, it's the, the rat race. It's a lot of stress, da-da-da. I, I need to get back to a family home structure. You know, I need to get back to the, to the basics. I can take care of these children and take care of this home. And so I called this gentleman, and um, I met with him. And uh, just to give you an idea of my first interview with him, like I said, I was about 35 pounds lighter. I had, um, I had a wraparound black skirt with a little black leotard, and I had um, ankle platform shoes, the kind that are back now, that were about this tall. And I had bleached, bleached, short, bleached, bleached, blonde hair, and I was bloated from drinking. And I walked in there, and I'm applying to take care of this man's children and his home. And he hired me. <laughs> so he was desperate. I came to find out later. He, was, he really was in need of someone. The kids were coming, and he needed to hire someone quickly. So I moved in, and the kids moved in, and we started our journey. Uh, and before I get too far into this, I, I need to tell you this now, because sometimes I forget, and for those of you who don't know, um, today that man is my husband. And he is the one that I've been married to for 18 years. And um, we have two children. Um, they're my stepchildren, but I, I consider them my children. Um, they've, they've lived with us for 18 years, almost. Uh, they're on their own now. But um, Tracy is the daughter, and she's 27 years old. And Skip is the son, and he's 25 years old. And uh, we've all grown up together. And I really mean that when I say that. Because at 22 years old, when you become an instant, uh, well, an instant wife almost, and an instant caregiver and, and stepmother and disciplinarian and all of that, plus trying to get sober, um, it's really a, a lot to take on. And uh, we really have grown up together. And, you know, there's, there were a lot of rough times during those years. And, um, but there were some really, really good times, too. And the good times are better than the bad times. But um, the reason that we're all together today is because of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because my husband has stayed sober and I've stayed sober. And um, the 24th of November, our son celebrated four years of sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's because of you. You know, I, I, I have this saying that um, I'll help sober up your kids if you'll help sober up mine. Because I can't do it. And I can remember um, a lot of the the 4 a.m., 5 a.m. phone calls from him and wondering if this was going to be the call telling us that he was no longer around. And uh, thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, he's a very active, sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous today. And i got to tell you a little story about that to deviate a little bit. Um, there was a time when, when Skip and I, my stepson, um, had some problems. Uh, our personalities are 
probably somewhat alike. We have a lot of the same characteristics, probably a lot of the same character defects, but I'm not going to take his inventory. Um, anyway, we, we, uh, we didn't get along very well, and uh, we were constantly at each other. And uh, today, our relationship is the best that it's ever been. And, and I know that that's because of Alcoholics Anonymous. We have a mutual respect for one another that we have never, ever had. Um, in October, we had our area elections, like I'm sure that you have here your, what do you have, uh, Southern South Carolina area, two areas, or is that one area? Okay. We have, in Minnesota, we have two areas. We have northern area of Minnesota and the southern area. And, and um, we had our southern area of Minnesota elections. And um, I had been in general service for a while, and, and I'd been in GSR and, and a DCM. And I decided that I wanted to get back into general service because I really like general service. And uh, so I, I went to the assembly, and, and my son has been involved in general service for the last several years. And, and uh, so we both ended up standing for area chairperson. And it came down to, um, we do the, the third legacy election procedure as found in the service manual. And after the um, fourth ballot, you know, you uh, vote to go to a fifth ballot. And then after the fifth ballot, if no one has, of two people that are left, if no one has two-thirds majority of the vote, you go to the hat. Well, guess what? At the end of that fifth ballot, no one had two-thirds of the majority of vote, and it was between my stepson and I. And it went to the hat. And I believe that that's when God speaks. That's when God speaks in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, well, in many other ways, too, but in, in this particular case. And my husband and his father happened to be at that election helping out with the blackboard. And so, of course, they asked him to draw the name out of the hat. <laughs> And so he did, and he drew Skip. And so Skip is our new area chairperson, and I am the alternate chairperson. And it, the people are still talking about that. You know, it's like, and you're going you're gonna to do what he says? <laughs> well, we're going to work together. That's what we're going to do. And we've been able to do that. We've already had some, some uh, meetings together. And, and you know, it, one of the women that I sponsor pointed this out to me. Thank God for, for people that we work with in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, if it weren't for my pigeons, I, I, I don't believe that I would be anywhere close to, to learning and having the capability of learning what I have in Alcoholics Anonymous and still wanting to learn because I learned so much from the women that I sponsor. And one of the, I was telling this story to one of the women I sponsor, and she pointed out to me, she said, well, you know, Brenda, she said, you're going to get the opportunity, the opportunity. Now, I would, you know, my first thought was, this is not an opportunity. I, and actually, I said to myself, God, I believe you might have made a mistake here. I'm 18 years sober. He's only four years sober. Now, all that stuff going on in my head. And she said to me, you know, this will be an opportunity for you to get a chance to know your son at a whole different level, for the two of you to get to know each other at a whole different level, a level of being able to serve Alcoholics Anonymous together, not as stepmother and stepson, but to being able to serve Alcoholics Anonymous together. What a gift that is. You know, there, it couldn't happen anywhere else but in Alcoholics Anonymous. So anyway, I, um, I had uh, my last spree um, the beginning of July in uh, 1980. What happened was I went to work for this gentleman, um, my husband today, Terry, and um, everything went well for a couple of months. And then what happened was I got restless, irritable, and discontent. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm not drinking and I don't have any tools to help me to grow spiritually, like the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I didn't, I barely had then, I get restless, irritable, and discontent. Or actually, I didn't have them because I wasn't sober. And so what happened was I decided that I needed to drink. Now, I didn't want to wreck this job. I really liked the kids. I really liked what I was doing. But I knew that I had to drink. Now, I did not know that Terry was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous when I went to work for him. What I found out later was that he was sober in AA five years when I went to work for him. I did not know this. And so one night he came home and I said, you know, I... I um, I think I'm, I'm going to go out tonight. It's cousin's birthday. I made up a story because I knew I couldn't tell him I was going to go out drinking. And I made up a story and said, I'm going to go out tonight. It's my cousin's birthday, and we're going to have birthday cake and coffee and tea, and I'll be home early. 
And this was on Tuesday, and I came back on Saturday. And um, you all know what happened. You know, what happened was is that I went to the bar, and I had a drink, and then I started that phenomenon of craving. That allergy kicked in, and my body physically said, I want more. And my mind said, it's okay, go ahead, you deserve it. You, you work hard for this man, and he pays you. He doesn't pay you enough, and, you know, you, you, have, you should be in a whole different place. And, and, oh, and by the way, he, just gave me, he had just given me money to go to the grocery store, and by the time, you know, I took a drink, that drink took a drink, that drink took a drink, and by the time I had several drinks in me, I decided I needed a vacation. You know, that I'd been there two months, things were going well, I had some money in my pocket that he had given me, I'm going to have a little vacation. My, my body wanted more, my mind kicked in and said, go for it. And, and so I can't predict what's going to happen when I drink. And that was my last spree. I ended up at a place called Lake Okaboji. I don't believe that I uh, took a sober breath um, the, the entire time I was there. I lost my car, I tried to buy a houseboat, I ended up in, in uh, a big houseboat. Um, I still don't remember exactly how all that happened. And I ended up in jail, ended up at the police station. They didn't actually put me in jail, but I was at the police station. I'm not sure why I was there. It's probably a good thing that we don't remember some of those things. You know, I think it's, that's why we have blackouts. <laughs> so we don't have to remember some of that stuff um, because I had a lot of blackouts towards the end of my drinking. And uh, what happened was I woke up on Friday morning, July 11th of 1980, in a motel room by myself, and I was done. I was hopeless. I remember sitting up, um, and I don't remember if I said a prayer. I, I don't really remember exactly how everything happened, but I knew that I was done. I had no sense of purpose in my life. I was 22 years old. I had no direction. I knew I probably just lost another job. I didn't know where my car was. I, I couldn't remember this, you know, a lot of the last four days. And I just, I had nowhere to go. And I remember picking up the phone and calling my mother and she said, come home. And I went home. And uh, she suggested to me that I call Terry and let him know that I was still alive. And I did. And Terry said something to me that Probably, I mean, I know many other people said to me prior to this day, but I never heard it because I wasn't ready to hear it. I hit my bottom, the bottom I needed to hit, in that motel room that morning. And he said to me, come back, you still have a job, and I, I know where you can get some help. And that's when he told me that he was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous and had been for five years. And he called another woman in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I went to her home that evening, and she took me to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's where the journey began. Now, if I had ever planned that scenario, and then today, I mean, even over the course of the last 18 years, but just going back to that one experience of getting sober, how could I ever doubt that there was a God in my life? I could have never planned that. That... How did I end up working for a man who was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous? Um, I, I, it was suggested to me, and I, I share this with others because this is how it's worked for me, and I'm still sober today. You know, I, when when the women um, when women ask me to sponsor them, I say this is what I've done. You know, I can only share my experience, strength, and hope, and this is what has worked for me. And obviously, something's been working because I'm still sober. It was suggested to me that I go to 90 meetings in 90 days, and I did. I, 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 did, I, think I, missed, I did miss a week because we went on vacation, so I had a reprieve from that. But I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I got a sponsor. This woman, my first sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't know if she's still sober today. You know, the last I heard was that she was not. But I know that she was, she was exactly where she was supposed to be that day because she attracted me into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I hope today that I am the best example of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that I can be, whether I'm in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous or whether I'm not. You know, in my job, in my family, at the grocery store, you know, wherever it may be, I need to be the best example of Alcoholics Anonymous that I can be. 
That woman took me to meetings, either met me at her home, picked me up, met me at the meeting. It was wonderful. And I, you know, I, I want to share this, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Um, she, I can remember that for, for weeks she would ask me, um, the group would ask me to go coffee with them. And I, if there's anyone new here tonight, I, I, I'm sharing a lot of this because I want you to know that you're not, you know, don't leave before the miracle happens. Don't leave before, I, there's so many wonderful things ahead of you. I, you know, if someone had asked me when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous what my three wishes were and they would grant those to me, I would have sold myself short. Those things have happened to me a long time ago. You know, I, I, I can remember they asked me to go to coffee, and I would always say, no, I, I, don't, I can't go to coffee, and they would say, go to coffee. And the, the reality of it was, is the reason I would say no is because I was scared. I was scared to go to coffee because I didn't want you to know me. I was afraid that if you got to know who I was and, and found out the things that I had done when I was drinking, that you wouldn't want any part of me, that you, wouldn't, that you would say, sorry, you can't come here anymore. And I didn't have any other place to go. I didn't have a better plan. And so finally one night I said, yes, I'd go to coffee. I went to coffee, and I remember that they were sitting around and, and talking about some things, and I finally got up enough courage to say something, and so I said something. Now today I don't even remember what it was that I said, but it caused a lot of problems. When I left that, not for them, for me. When I left there, I started thinking about what I had said. Now, this, this shows the, the selfishness, the self-centeredness of, of myself. I, I left there, and I was thinking about what I had said. And I thought, you know, I really shouldn't have said that. And I, and I got home, and I, I'm still thinking about what I said. And I thought, you know, that was really a dumb thing to say. I'll bet they all thought that that was really stupid. And I'm thinking about it, and, and it's not going away, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm, and I'm brushing my teeth, and I'm thinking, my God, you know, I don't think I can go to coffee again. Because I, I can't, obviously I can't converse with these people. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, I, I can't go to coffee. And I get in bed, and I'm laying there, I'm talking, I'm turning, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure I can go back to that meeting. I mean, these people are really going to think I am weird. You know, I, what would they... And this is like, okay, now it's become a really big obsession of the mind. And some, it was like some, something clicked in my head and said, you know, your sponsor said that you could call day or night whenever you needed to. I wonder if this was one of those times when I could probably call her. So I don't know if it was like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I called her, and I told her what was going on, and I said, you know, I'm not sure I can go back to that meeting after what I said tonight. And there was this long silence on the phone. And, then she, and I'm like waiting. And then she said, Brenda, do you think that everybody else is home tonight losing sleep over what you said at coffee? <laughs> you know what? That was the first real glimpse of humility that I had in this program about polyxenarians. Because of course my answer was no. Thank you very much. I'll see you at the meeting tomorrow. You know, but that, that gave me one of the first clear recognitions of what it talks about in the fifth step in the 12 and 12. The clear recognition of who and what I had become. But you know, I also had a sincere desire to be what I could be. I knew that I wanted something different. And I knew that I wanted something better. And, and that's, you know, that there have been many, many, many glimpses like that. And, and just because I've been sober and my life has been wonderful doesn't mean that it's been free of not having problems. Now, I have had problems in my life. I've had some, some very sad things happen in my life since I've been sober. Now, when I was seven years sober, my, my youngest sister, who was 17 years old, was killed by a drunk driver on her way to school at 8 o'clock in the morning. She was my baby sister. She was the good one. You know, I'm the drunk in the family. And, and she was everything that I wanted to be and couldn't be. And she's gone. And, I, and, and that was very difficult to face. And the only way that I was, be, where I was able to walk through that was because of Alcoholics Anonymous and because of people like you and because of good sponsorship and because of the tools that you've given me. You know, through that experience, I found, I found a God. Even though I was mad at him for a while, I found a God. 
And then a couple of years ago, um, a lot of things have happened. A couple of years ago, my stepfather died very suddenly of a massive stroke. And this was a man that I have prayed for. You know that resentment prayer in the big book? And back, uh, what is it, five, 552, right? Yeah. If you have a resentment you want to be free of, I have uh, used that prayer a lot, and particularly on my stepfather. And the past probably five or six years of our relationship were absolutely wonderful. Um, I really, I really, really knew that he loved me, and I really loved him. And we developed a relationship over the years, and I wasn't ready for him to die. I was ready to, I, I wanted to reap some more of the benefits of Alcoholics Anonymous in my relationship with him. And, um, you know, but that stuff happened. Um, and then uh, my mother went through some cancer, and, and I walked through that with her. And, and then a year ago, almost a year ago, um, December 17th, I had open heart surgery. And that was a real wild thing. Um, <laughs> I, I found out, um, like, a couple months before that, that I had a congenital heart defect. I had a large hole between my left and right atrium, and they needed to fix it. And, um, you know, I, I never expected at the age of 40 years old that I would face my own mortality. And um, it, was, it was scary. But I got through it. And I got through it because of Alcoholics Anonymous and because of the power of prayer. I know, I know that God answers prayers. I really know that. And, and, and God speaks to me through you. I mean, I had the women that I sponsored were making, they, were, they had it set up that they were making um, dinner, each, each one of them on different nights of the week because I wasn't able to do some things for a while and so they were bringing over food and they came out and brought me a meeting and I had, oh, I had stacks of books. I think they thought I was going to be in my house for six months. I had stacks of stuff to read and I had people calling all the time. My mother was staying with me and she, she finally said, do I have to screen your phone calls? You're taking too many phone calls. You know, it was just, it was wonderful. And it was, it was because of um, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and, and I, I'm really grateful today. And like I said, um, when I first started, uh, you know, I know one sure thing today. And that is that God's will for me is to stay sober and help others. And I don't need to know anymore. I just need to show up for life and do the next right thing the best that I can. Today, I do the deal. My sponsor, my sponsor calls it doing the deal. And I go to at least three meetings of, a week of Alcoholics Anonymous. I call my sponsor every Monday night at 6 o'clock. I sponsor other women. I live the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in my life. They are a way of life for me. They are principles by which I live my life. I have a home group, and I have a commitment in that home group. And that's all I need to, to know. That's the basics. I go to a big book study group every Tuesday night called Common Solution, and, and that's, that's, I need to keep it simple because I complicate it, and that's the way I live my life today, and I, I just, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to be here tonight and to share, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of the weekend. Thank you.